Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Well, I am not Terry Wickstrom. This is Brad Peterson filling in for Terry this week. Terry's out on assignment doing some traveling to the sunny coast of California there. Going to hopefully have some good reports coming up. We have a special show. We're starting a little bit early this week, but we've made sure that it's jam-packed so everyone will get a ton of wonderful information. We're going to be covering turkey hunting, walleye fishing, uh, and walleye management. Lots of local bites. But let's get to the phone right now. I am really excited. We have a special guest, Jeff Gustafson, also, also known as Gussie, who is here and uh, a uh, Bassmaster Elite Pro. Good morning, Jeff. Guys, yeah, I'm, I'm here. There we go. Uh, how's it going? It's going pretty well. We've got a uh, what you would consider a heat wave up there in Canada right now. We're we're going to hit 50 degrees today. <laughs> That's tropical. Yeah, yeah. I I know that you've uh, already been down to Florida to fish one event this year, and you're back in Canada doing a little ice fishing. But what I'd love, I to- am. I'm I'm back for. Uh, for a few days and or call a couple of weeks and then I head back Wednesday for um, for the classic. My boat and truck are down in Birmingham, Alabama right now. And uh, so yeah, I'm I'm excited and fired up here, ready to roll. Yeah, that's what I, I wanted to talk to you about the classic. Now this is your first classic you're gonna be competing in, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's uh it's it now that it's close, it's it's pretty awesome, you know, that it's actually happening and been a, you know, a dream for a long time for me. And, uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited to, to, to get after it. Oh, I, I would think so. Now with this being such a big event, it's kind of a winner take all, you know, swing for the fences type of, of fishing tournament there. What have you been doing so far to prepare before, you know, heading down there and doing your pre-fishing? Well, and it's it's it is one of those events where you definitely want to win. It's a it's a career changing, life changing event. Uh, so, but that being said, for me, I don't do a ton of. I've fished Gunnersville a couple times, so I've you know I have an idea of what I need to be doing to you know be competitive. But the, this time of year, I mean, the weather's such a big deal, and they've had you know we just had a tournament canceled last week um at, at lake chickamauga just north of there so it's going to be pretty important to get there and see what the water conditions are like what the weather is going to be like for the you know the week of the event and, and all that sort of stuff before i get too too many preconceived um you know notions of of how how i'm going to be fishing and what's going to be going on there you know I, i'm a walleye fisherman but i think that that's uh, one of the problems probably most tournament anglers have is they go into an event preconceived with what they're going to do i like to go in with some ideas but you never know like you say weather water conditions um water clarity we fish a lot of reservoirs out here so you know you could be 10 or feet higher or lower than you were expecting so you have to go in with that open mind sure and 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 it i mean it doesn't even 
you know, not even re- relating this to tournament anglers, we all have our favorite spots, you know, if it's a body of water that we've fished before. And, you know, it's pretty natural to want to go try those spots again where we've had success in the past. But, but yeah, it's, it's, it, it, all that stuff can change so fast. And you kind of got to be in a tournament situation. You got to try to, you know, make good decisions based on all the, those different elements. And, um, you know, that's going to be, that's going to be important. So, but it's, you know, it's, uh, I've got my whole family coming down and, and some friends from up North and, uh, it's, it's going to be, you know, I'm going to enjoy the experience, but also, you know, I want to be, do well and be successful in the event as well. So, well, I, it's, I, uh, I'm getting pretty excited. Yeah. I know that, uh, one of our mutual friends, Al Lindner is definitely going to be rooting for you, um, as someone who's, been instrumental in both of our careers helping us out and giving us good advice and al having been someone who's fished some of those events he always likes to see someone who um yeah those, he knows. those guys are awesome i mean i i think ron you know over all the years that i've been fishing these pro tournaments ron is one of the first guys you know to to call after the events or you know james calls all the time you know during practice wanting to know what the bite is and um you know it's pretty cool that those guys are have as much passion about the tournament fishing and and you know stuff that i got going on and uh because they're you know guys that i've i've certainly grew up really admiring and looking up to and uh um no that's it they're awesome yeah and, and one of the other similarities you've got um is that you actually are one of the few pro anglers fishing out of an aluminum boat. You fish out of the Lund bass boat. What made you make that decision? I mean, I've looked at it. It's it's one boat that I'm looking at possibly getting for my next one. It's a phenomenal boat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's very the Pro V 2075 Pro V bass is a it's basically a, an aluminum bass boat, but you know, for me living on lake of the woods i fish a lot of big water i fish the great lakes quite a bit and so it's a really good big water bass boat and then um you know in my part of the world lund is very popular and and uh they've they've supported me and helped me out for for a long time over 10 years and um i'm you know i'm just really proud to be associated with the brand and um they make a good boat Oh, they absolutely do. And if people haven't looked at that new Lund Bass Boat, that's one to get online. Um, take a look at, at Gussie's social media stuff. He has a lot of pictures in there. It, it's a, a wonderful yeah. boat to be in. Um, it's, and it's kind of designed like for, if you know, I don't know how much musky water you guys have out west, but it's kind of designed, you know, any kind of fishing where you're doing a lot of casting and standing up, um, it's going to be a – be an awesome boat and then you know you've still got a ton of storage and and seating room um depending on which model you get but it's uh it's you're elevated and and up pretty high and it's uh it's an awesome fishing machine yeah well i tell you what we've got a few more minutes here and i would be i would feel terrible if i didn't get a spring fishing tip from you um out here we're mainly fishing a lot of reservoirs that will fluctuate a lot with our main forage base being shad and a good mix of both largemouth and smallmouth. So when you look at that, um, you know, it might kind of almost be like a, a Chickamauga type 
thing as far as a similarity. If you're going to a lake like that, you know, we should be losing ice, I would guess, in the next, oh, 10 days, two weeks. And so right as ice comes out, what do you look for? What are maybe a presentation or an area you look for when chasing bass right there early in the year? Well, I mean, they they want to spawn fairly, you know, get start heading towards spawning areas pretty quick after the ice goes out. So I'm going to probably put on a jerk bait, suspending jerk bait, and just start hitting all the little points and secondary points and, you know, any little stick outs along the bank starting to head back into those spawning bays and pockets and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, that right after the ice goes out, that's when you can really run into like big groups of fish. They're still sort of packed up from the winter and, and then they're in the mood to eat, you know, they're hungry and uh, it can be one of the best times of the year to, to get out fishing. But jerk baits are really good in, in the cold, cool water. And uh, that'd be probably my number one, number one choice. You can cover some water with them to find, find fish too. Cause if you're not around them, you're not going to catch anything, but once you find them, then you can maybe attack them with, with jigs and, and some other baits. Right. Now, when you're fishing a jerk bait, I know for like our springtime walleyes when they first come out, and we fish a lot of the suspending jerk baits, but they actually don't want it jerked. They want it more tugged just to where you can feel the, uh, the lure wobbling and then let it yep. stop. If you jerk it too much, you kind of turn those fish off. When you're fishing largemouth, with jerk baits early in the year, how are you fishing them, and how long of a pause will you wait to let the fish come in and you know bite it? You know that's all about experimenting, and and so I agree, it's more of a tug and a tug tug pause kind of kind of scenario for me. Um, but it's just it's it's all about experimenting and letting the fish sort of tell you what they want. Yeah, and. What what depth do you typically start looking at for those fish? Uh, I, you know, it just depends on the, on the body of water, but generally, you know, that four to 10 foot range. Okay. And especially in the spring, I mean, if it's a nice sunny day, the fishing is going to be better in the afternoon than it is you know, early in the morning. That That is a uh, nice thing in the spring. You can get banker's hours for the best fishing. Yeah, absolutely. You don't have to necessarily be out there at the, at the crack of dawn. And, um, and so that's, that's probably, you know, keep that in mind. And, and, uh, but it's all about the, you know, it's all about the water clarity. If it's, if it's clear, the fish might be a little deeper. If it's dirty, they might be a little shallower. And then, you know, trusting your electronics and 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 then the conditions. If you got a little bit of wind blowing on, you know, onto one bank, that's probably going to be better than the calm side and uh, all those little things. And just keep note of where you catch fish and, and then try and duplicate it and put the pattern together. I, I think that's a, a great note to end on, you know, pay attention and, uh, you know, try to put a pattern together. If people want to you know, kind of follow you on social media, uh, keep an eye on what you're doing, you know, heading to the classic, fishing the whole elite series this year. What is the best way for people to follow you or get in touch with you? 
I'm on Instagram, Gussie Outdoors, Twitter, Gussie Outdoors, Facebook, Jeff Gustafson. And I have a website, GussieOutdoors.com. So, yeah, I, I keep up with all that stuff. And, uh, you know, yeah, we got the Bassmaster Classic here in two weeks. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting, getting re- really, you know, starting to really get geared up for that. And uh, so, yeah, if you're a fan of bass fishing and tournament fishing, then I'll probably have some, some fun stuff for you to check out. That's great. Well, I appreciate you calling in, Jeff, and uh, definitely uh, good luck down there at the Classic, and tell your wife hello. I will. I'll tell her that. All right. <laughs> you guys have a great weekend. Thanks. Thanks, uh, thanks so much. Okay. Take care. Uh, That was Jeff Gustafson. We are going to go to a break, and when we get back, we are going to have JR from Colorado Clays. We're going to be talking a little bit about uh, turkey season coming up. Welcome back to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. I'm Brad Peterson filling in for Terry Wickstrom this week, and we have a guest on the line from Colorado Clays, JR. How are you doing, JR? I'm good, Brad. Thanks for having me on. Hey, great to have you on. It's a perfect time to get out there and and have people talking about what all Colorado Clays has to offer because turkey season is right around the corner. And if people are thinking about getting out turkey hunting, they really need to start doing some preparation. And you've got a facility out there that just lends itself to a lot of opportunities. Well, Brad, and you're right. And, you know, um, well, I've got a couple things to say on that. So I think it might take a few minutes here. And of course, I always like everyone to know that the, the great thing about Colorado clays is that we have so many different ranges, uh, fields and courses available, no matter what firearm you're working with. And regardless of what your goals are, whether you are preparing for one of those hunting seasons, like you're talking or competing in a tournament. Uh, participating in one of our corporate or fundraising events, maybe enjoying some friends and family time, such as, you know, bachelor, bachelorette parties, wedding parties, family occasions, vacations, et cetera, Uh, working with the kids or beginners or, you know, just simply want some quality recreational shooting time by yourself with friends. At Colorado Plays, we're still doing today what we've been doing for the last 24 years. As Colorado's premier public shooting facility and that is offering the finest in rifle pistol and shotgun shooting opportunities to everyone uh it's in a state-of-the-art facility and it's with no membership required now when it comes to preparing for that specific hunting season though there is no place better than colorado clays to help you with that and going back brad to late last summer Uh, We had huge numbers of Colorado outdoors men and women show up to get ready for uh, really a variety of different hunts ranging from doves, ducks, geese, upland birds, big game, and more. And they all took advantage of not just our great practice ranges, um, but also our sighting clinics for the big game. We had individual shooting instruction to help everybody get their shot on. Uh, We're helping them with the best staff in the industry and of course the shotgun patterning area which is such an important tool in preparing for a turkey hunt and brad i think you're going to agree with this that when you head to colorado clays to get dialed in for your turkey hunt you should bring really every asset available to you to achieve your your goal or at least achieve the best result you can with the tools you have 
So oh. I'm just going to, yeah, yeah, I'm going to take a minute here. I'm going to answer a couple common questions and then make a couple quick suggestions. So yeah, although, of course, that, that is available at all times, to get the best, uh, I always encourage people to call me, and there are certain times of the day or week uh, that are better for using that pattern area for a variety of reasons. But first of all, of course, bring your gun. And one of the questions I get a lot is, can I bring more than one gun? Well, of course, bring all the guns you want. A lot of times, one of them is going to perform better um, for what you're doing than another one. And it's not necessarily just the patterning. Sometimes the fit of a gun, the feel of a gun uh, is different depending on your shooting position and uh, the sight picture you're doing. So understand that there's more than one possibility for a gun that might work. And, of course, bring the tools to either repair or adjust the fit of that gun while you're patterning. Um, that's a, a really important thing to have that stuff with you, know what's in your kit and know how to use it. And if you're going to be shooting off of sticks or anything like that, certainly make sure you have those in your kit as well. Um, next, bring all of your chokes. So sometimes particular gun choke and load combos uh, perform better, and it's not always the one that you think it's going to be. And I have said over the years here, we found that the aftermarket extended turkey tubes tend to perform better, particularly with uh, turkey-specific loads than sometimes the factory chokes do. As far as the ammo goes, bring the ammo that you want to hunt with. And don't be afraid to bring some different loads. Try some different ones. Um, although those types of loads may not be allowed out on our ranges, we do allow them in the patterning area. So certainly bring the load you're going to hunt with and get the results based on those loads uh, in preparation. Uh, as far it's, as targets goes, call. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say one other thing that you want to make sure is that you bring the clothes that you're also going to be hunting in. Um, so often people don't think about bringing their turkey vest and their turkey clothing. Um, make sure that you've got that when you're patterning in your gun because that can adjust the fit as well. Absolutely. And on the clothes, yeah, bring those. And one thing I have noticed, and I don't know, you probably ran into this too, Brad, is a lot of times, particularly if you go into a sitting position, uh, you can get a bind in clothes that affects where your gun lands on your shoulder and how your head sits on it. And uh, that can be particularly bad to find out uh, the morning of a hunt. And uh, another one on that note, your eye and ear protection. Uh, bring the stuff you're going to hunt with. I have seen this before people come out, they do their patterning, all their preparation with earbuds, then they throw on some muffs, the earmuffs hit the stock of the gun and change everything. So uh, a lot of times those slimline profile earmuffs are better. And of course the target, um, at Colorado Clays we supply a 42 inch square sheet of cardboard with an aiming point. Um, we can pattern your gun from 20 to 50 yards. A lot of folks like to bring that turkey head target, and it's literally just a representation of a turkey head, and we welcome them to do that. They can tape that right up after they've done some shots. Uh, it does a couple of things. It tells you how many pellets you have on target in the, in the good zone out to whatever your maximum range is, uh, but it also gets you used to holding your gun at that kind of base of the neck area uh, rather than just uh, a whole point. So really a lot of considerations when you're getting ready to come out. Yeah, JR, that's great information. If someone wants to find out more about Colorado Clays, how's the best way for them to reach out to you? Well, 
uh, easiest, give us a call, 303-659-7117. I encourage everyone to go to our website because all of our information is there, and there is a great virtual tour you can take just to see what we have and uh, what goes on at our facility. That sounds great. I appreciate you calling in, uh, JR, and uh, I'm sure that uh, hopefully a few people will be out there this weekend taking advantage of the nice weather today to do a little bit of sighting in of their turkey gun. Yep, we welcome everyone, and thanks for having me, Brad. All right, thank you. That was JR with Colorado Clays. And coming up next, we're going to have Joel Nelson, and we're going to talk a little bit about walleye management. This is Brad Peterson filling in for Terry Wickstrom on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Welcome back. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. I'm Brad Peterson filling in for Terry on this special edition that we're running uh, starting a little earlier this week at 8 o'clock. So now we've got a, a great guest calling in from the state of Minnesota, Joel Nelson. He's a TV personality and self-described fish nerd. And, and Joel wrote a blog here that I posted on my social media uh, account. Brad I'm having Peterson, some audio issues. Uh, Brad Peterson Outdoors. And... Um, we um about uh, big walleye being sterile and does putting them back hurt the population. Hopefully we have Joel coming in. Joel, are you getting a better signal now? Yes, I can hear you guys. You bet. Okay. Thanks a lot. So uh, I'm glad you were able to call in. Joel, this, this blog speaks to a topic that's really important, uh, I think, all over the country as far as how to manage for walleyes. But also the other thing that's important is Colorado, we're getting on our five-year cycle coming up and making our management decisions. So why don't you give us a little synopsis about uh, what you talked about in that uh, blog, and we can kind of uh, discuss it a little bit. Sure. Well, you bet, Brad. Well, thanks for having me on. I, I've been fishing for walleyes since I was very young, and I've been involved in various forms of walleye management through our state in, in Minnesota. And, and also uh, as an angler, as a pretty serious angler, I've fished on a lot of different shows, done a lot of promotional uh, work, different tournaments, and I've fished all over the country for walleyes. But the things that I've seen as far as angler attitudes in large fish are a little bit alarming from time to time. You'll get certain fisheries, um, Lake of the Woods in my home state, uh, Lake Erie out in Ohio, uh, some of your larger reservoirs out west. Uh, where there's times of the year that large walleyes are commonly caught or they're maybe more vulnerable. And there's always a temptation to keep those larger fish because maybe that's all that's eating. Um, and it's it's a real danger because no matter what system we're talking about, maybe with the exception of Lake Erie, large walleyes are rare nationwide. And anglers are willing to pay a lot of money to travel and go to these destinations to catch big fish. But even where they're more common overall, a large walleye isn't a common fish. And that's kind of led the thought process to some people in saying that, hey, maybe we should be taking some of these larger walleyes. Uh, you know, maybe they're, they're older fish and their eggs are dried up or they're not spawners anymore. There's a lot of misconceptions that are out there, but the research is very clear. It couldn't be further from the truth. The largest walleyes in the system are the best spawners. They produce the most eggs. Their eggs have more fat, more lipids in them. 
which promotes long-term survivability of their young. So those large fish, uh, contrary to what anybody's going to tell you, are, are the true gems of the system that need protection. Oh, they absolutely do. And the, the other thing is, I mean, besides them just being important in reproduction, and we've got a few lakes here that rely on natural reproduction, but most of our walleyes are brought in through a stocking program. But we do take those fish from a few of the lakes. Um, but the other thing is, is those are truly once-in-a-lifetime fish. You know, those are the fish that get people hooked on fishing and get them coming back. And I have no problem with someone taking a trophy fish if they want to put it on the wall. I mean, they make great graphite and reproductions now. But if you want to have a skin mount, put it on the wall, I've got no problem with that at all. But just to take a big fish to put it in your freezer... That's hurting not only the population of the lake, possibly the future population, but it's also hurting the quality of fishing opportunity. And if we want to get more kids involved and keep the sport growing and have the opportunities we do, we need to preserve those resources. Yeah, absolutely, Brad. I I think it's one of those things where there's times of the year, maybe the springtime, there's a good shallow bite and you're getting more big fish than you ever otherwise would because you're targeting uh, females that are either pushing up for the spawn or just about on their way out. Um, those are the dangerous times where walleyes are a lot more vulnerable, and people might be catching primarily big walleyes, um, but restraint is uh, the, better, uh, the, the better one to be exercised there just because not only are they things uh, that are rare, they're the ones that promote the future and the future of fishing, like you indicated. Yeah. Now, I think both of us enjoy, you know, keeping some walleyes and a shore lunch or a fish fry. What size, you know, having looked at all this, what size fish do you kind of recommend for harvest? Well, it's interesting. I, you know, I think that kind of depends from lake to lake and place to place. Uh, In Minnesota, we have a lot of special regulations which kind of guide that. Um, And we have a rule in Minnesota where you're only allowed one fish over 20 inches. And I think that's a pretty good rule. Um, if you're going to keep fish to eat, to be honest, the ones that cook up better are in the 14 to 16-inch range. I'll keep fish all the way up to 18 inches, and in my boat, 18 and above gets a pass. Yeah, now, um, now some, a, of our, if, if a, some of our ahead. lakes here, we've got a 15-inch minimum or an 18-inch minimum. So I will go up sure, to I, about that 20-inch range is the ballpark for me, but I don't like keeping many over. We're only allowed one over 21 in Colorado. So we have kind of a similar regulation as what you're doing there in Minnesota. Yeah. And, and you know what, an 18 to 20 inch fish is, is incredible to eat. There's nothing wrong with that at all. It's just for me, if I have the ability to keep 15 to 18s and I'm catching them with some regularity, um, I'd rather target them because uh, to be honest, uh, walleyes grow pretty fast, whether they're stocked or uh, whether it's natural reproduction compared to certain species. And some of those smaller fish can be more easily replaced by just putting in a couple more fry for stocking. And it's one of those things where, uh, yeah, those are easier parts of the population to target. Once you get to the larger individuals, uh, they take more time. They're rarer and they're harder to find. So one of those things that uh, the, the you know if you can target your take on the lower end of the scale wherever that may be for your regulations i think it's a wise move yeah i completely agree with that and we have a couple more minutes here and 
So I'm going to kind of steer us away a little bit from the walleye management discussion. And I know that you are an avid bluegill angler. And we're just about ready to lose our ice. And what we've got is we've got a lot of ponds around here that don't have a lot of weed growth, but have a lot of good quality bluegills. So in a couple minutes, can you give us a tip or advice for those anglers wanting to get out and get on those early season pond bluegills? Yeah, that's a that's a that's a great thing for you guys. I I love bluegill fishing, and it's one of those things in Minnesota and other places I've fished where, quite often, some of the best bluegill fishing on the larger lakes isn't until water temps approach the mid 60s and 70s. But in small ponds, you guys can obviously attain higher water temperatures quickly. So um, the fact remains, though, that you're going to be fishing a little slow right off the bat. And you know whether you like fishing live bait or whether you like fishing artificials, plastics, small jigs, I think the biggest tip I could ever give anybody is to start fishing bobbers again. I I don't know when it became unfashionable or it seemed now, like too hold much. On, hold on, hold on. You, you never ran into Mick Thill, did you? Because Mick would give you a 30-minute lecture that it the only thing that is a bobber is red and white and round. <laughs> that everything else is afloat, and you need sure. to have that, you know, beaten into you. Um, right, right. Mick was a great guy who brought over the the European float fishing style, and and I'm very much, you know, early in the year. I agree. I do a lot of pencil float fishing, or I still yeah. call them pencil bobbers. But you can yeah. you can see a lot in there. I, I did get set up by. Ron Boggs at in ICAST one year and said, hey, go ask Mick about his bobbers. And I, I went over and said, I, I really like your bobbers, and I got that 30-minute lecture. Um, right, right. But I, w- I would agree with you that uh, slowing down and using floats is a fantastic way for people to catch fish. And one thing I would say is don't put away all your small ice fishing jigs um, use those at the beginning of open water. Those fish are still keying in on that small presentation style. Absolutely. Well, the neat part about a bobber or a float, whatever you want to call it, and I have had that lecture too, by the way, and and uh, I'm talking about pencil floats or pencil bobbers as well. The neat part is whether you're fishing an ice fly underneath or you're fishing a plain hook with a chunk of crawler, whatever you want to use, as long as it's small enough, what you can do with that float is you can also keep it moving, right? You can cast it up and pull it forward and then let the bait swing and settle underneath. That slow, subtle swinging motion uh, a lot of times is what triggers those early season gills. If you just keep it moving and cast it out and, and, and reel it back to the boat, you're going too fast. But you let that bait settle out below so often, uh, right after it settles out, you're, you're seeing that float go under. Yeah, I completely agree with that. That's that's great advice. Well, we've got to get running. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for people to find you? Hey, I'm I'm available out on social media, whether it be Instagram or Facebook, uh, hashtag uh, Joel Nelson Outdoors. Otherwise, my website, it's full articles, and ask me anything on there as well. That's www.joelnelsonoutdoors.com. All right, Joel. Well, thanks a lot for calling in, and I'm sure you've probably started quite a few discussions from people. Glad to be on. Thanks so much, Brad. All right. Thank you. That was Joel Nelson, and uh, what a great contributor we have there.
We're coming up next. We're going to talk to an ex-Rockies pitcher who's kind of found a passion in the outdoors. You are listening to 104.3 The Fan, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Welcome back. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. I'm Brad Peterson filling in for Terry this weekend. And we have a special guest on the line. It's actually someone that uh, a lot of people in the Denver area might have either seen out at Coors Field on the pitcher's mound or in a TV broadcast. We've got Jason Hirsch. Good morning, Jason. Good morning, Brad. How you doing, bud? I'm doing pretty good. So Jason has, since his playing days, got to, to become a much bigger outdoor enthusiast and has started a company called Hunt, Hike, Harvest Outdoors, which is kind of um, combining both your knowledge of being an athlete and the training along with uh, outdoor activities. Why don't you tell people a little bit more about it? Sure. So uh, I started getting into the outdoors, uh, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, something like that. I started with fly fishing and then uh, I got more into uh, big game hunting, doing some elk and deer, uh, you know, getting into waterfowl and things like that. And at the time where I was training, um, the facility I was training at was run by uh, my now business partner, Joel Rinder, and he also... uh, big outdoorsman grew up in the outdoors. And so we kind of, you know, bonded over this love of being in the outdoors and and doing these big game hunts. Um, And then we decided to take Joel's knowledge of strength conditioning and uh, my knowledge of arm care uh, for baseball and combining them into uh, this hunt hike harvest venture that, that, uh, that we've started where um, we can custom tailor and build uh, training programs for outdoorsmen for you know their hunts to get them prepared for their hunts, and that was one of the uh, big issues that we had heard from you know talking to outfitters and other outdoorsmen was you know the the idea that they were supposed to come in in shape, uh, especially for people coming from out of state, and they would almost you know 100 percent they'd show up out of shape, uh, not taking the, the or heeding the warning seriously. And then have to be drug up to 10, 11, 12,000 feet to go on a hunt and not be able to handle the rivers of the Rock Mountain. So uh, this venture is is based around that idea. Uh, you know, we started for, uh, we can do it for any outdoorsman, but uh, we, we both uh, really enjoy uh, bow hunting and archery. And that's where my arm care program comes in for guys that have trouble pulling back bows or um, stabilizing bows, things like that. And then Joel, obviously, with his professional background in strength and conditioning, being able to put together a plan and tailor it uh, to your specific needs, whether you just need to get in shape, whether you need to lose weight, gain weight, um, you know, if you're coming from out of state, how to acclimate to altitude, uh, and being able to do all of that remotely through some awesome software that we use. Yeah, and, it, you know, people are thinking, well, you know, big game season, that's still quite a ways away. But realistically, you know, you're only six months out from archery season. Big game brochures just came out. You're looking and applying for that hunt of a lifetime, and you don't want to have that get messed up by being out of shape. And you know, no, hundred no, percent, you're right. And uh, I think you know, in the day and age that we live in, you know, you have a cell phone in your pocket, so anytime you need information, you need to contact somebody. You get instantaneous results. And unfortunately, our our bodies don't work that way. Uh, it takes you know weeks and months for our bodies to see any kind of change. 
uh, or adaptation um, for for the goal in mind. So starting now, uh, like you said, six months out is a great time to at least start laying the foundations for whatever it is that you might be wanting to do, whether you need to get stronger and gain some strength, whether you need to you know, increase your metabolic output so that you can hunt at those high altitudes, or maybe you need to lose a few of those holiday pounds uh, that you packed on so that uh, you can get back into fighting shape and, and be able to you know, carry around a 40, 50, 60 pound pack or even carry out your animal in 60, 70, 80 pound loads. Um, it puts a, a big toll on your body, and now's a great time to get in shape to do that. It it absolutely does. If, and if someone were to come to you and your company, you know, and just wanted to start out, what are you going to do to start, you know, someone who's just looking at getting into a program? Sure. Well, first we need to get some baseline information on you. You know, how old are you? You know, what is your, your background? What is your experience uh, in a gym setting? Maybe you had a 24-hour membership at one point in your life, or maybe you're a constant gym rat. You just want to be able to fine-tune or tweak those things. You know, so we're going to get some general information from you to figure out kind of where we want to start uh, when building out your program. And then also we're going to figure out what does your time frame look like? Are you a busy you know, professional, do you work in nine to five and don't have a whole lot of time to get into a gym? Do you have a gym at your house that um, that you can take advantage of? Or maybe you're the type of person who sets aside, you know, 30 minutes to an hour a day to go to uh, a local gym um, to get your workouts. And we can custom tailor all of our programming based off the equipment that you have access to, the time frame that you have, and obviously the goals that you have in mind. So getting all of that information in place, we can sit there and program out you a, uh, a workout that is going to help you achieve those goals and be able to track it all from your fingertips, uh, whether it's on your phone or at your computer. That, that sounds like a great, great program to start. And you guys are based here right in the Denver area, right? Yeah. So we, uh, we actually just, uh, Joel and I both have our, our other businesses outside of the, the hunting side of uh this is more of like a hobby for us, um, and we found a way to, to kind of bleed in both of our, our passions uh, into it. But uh, Joel's a full-time strength coach, and I'm a full-time baseball coach. So we just opened up a brand-new facility uh, here in Denver right off of I-70 in Monaco called Fast Performance, where we'll be doing a lot of our in-town training. Um, so if you're a Denver resident and want to come to our gym uh, and be instructed by uh, Joel or, or one of our other strength coaches, um, you can do that, or like I said, we can do everything remotely as well and train. But, uh, yeah, we are Denver-based. Well, that's fantastic. I'm going to have to swing there, buy your new facilities, and check them out. Uh, there's one other thing you wanted to mention is that um, you have an event coming up in July that you're participating in. Why don't you give us just a quick rundown on that? Sure. So, uh, you know, the, the love of, of bow hunting and, and shooting and uh, you know, being outdoors has, has drawn both Joel and I to the outdoor competition world. So we will both be participating in the um, in an event out in Glenwood Springs. It's the Total Archery Challenge, and we're going to be out there uh, for uh, Friday and Saturday. We're going to be bringing out uh, a trailer from uh, our friends at Crux Trailers, and uh, we're going to be having a barbecue and, and uh, you know, wanting to meet people and just kind of shoot some hands, put some, some names and faces together, do some networking uh, and be able to really, you know, continue to reach out to the hunting community, the outdoor community. It's, it's one that, you know, from, from
from what Joel and I have experienced um, in our other realms that we work in, the outdoor community is so outgoing and so accepting of of people, and we're 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 very you know happy and, and blessed to be able to you know share our knowledge and, and help you know any hunter who might be listening or outdoorsman who might be listening prepare for the hunt of their lives. And so that'll be an opportunity for everybody to come meet us out in July. And do you have a date on that? Um, that's a great question. I'd have to do a quick Google search on it. I know it's July. I want to say it's like the 12th, something okay. around there. Yep. Well, people can take a look at that. Um, we're coming to the end of the segment. If someone wants to get a hold of H3O um, or yourself, what is the best way for someone to do that? Uh, they can shoot us an email. Uh, we're hunthikeharvest at gmail.com. You can address it to either Joe or I. We'll uh, be happy to answer any questions that you have on that. We do have a website. It's uh, hunthikeharvest.com. It's not quite up yet. We're still in the process of building out all the components for that. Um, but once that's up and running, you'll be able to see kind of what our programs look like. Uh, we're going to start doing some blogging on there as well. And we also have a podcast that you can uh, go find uh, on all the major platforms. We've got a couple episodes out, but uh, – with our new facility, we've got a dedicated podcast room, so we'll bring you, be bringing you some more information, having guests on, and even you know, guys like yourself, Brad, we'll, we'll get you on and uh, all right. um, that, you know, share your, your love of the outdoors and fishing. That'd be great. That sounds good. We've got to go to a break here, and I uh, want to thank Jason again for coming on. You've been listening to Brad Peterson filling in for Terry Wickstrom on 104.3 The Fan.